2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. What we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to look at it or circle the last word in that verse, eternal. I have been burdened, and tonight, I, I know, no, no one can agree on the subject, so I'm going to disturb a couple people, not even trying to disturb you, uh, but here's what I want to do. I, I have been concerned when I consider the next year and, and what we want to accomplish the next year, and I truly am convinced uh, one of the greatest and gravest dangers in uh, Bible-believing Christians today is the fact that eternity really does not register very often on our minds. Yes, we understand that God said it's stamped on our hearts, but actually waking up, who here woke up and said, I want to do something eternal today? I want to do something that matters in eternity, not just in this life, especially in the month of December, because we're so caught up in the temporal. Our eyes, our focus, our mind is all about uh, this life. Every day that we live ought to be consumed Every day ought to be consumed with the eternal, not just the temporal, and we're chasing. We are in the constant pursuit of things that absolutely don't matter. They'll be broken tomorrow. Uh, they'll be of no value tomorrow. I don't know how many times I've told this story, but it's one of my favorites. When, when Josh and, and Matt, myself, the family, went to Mexico years ago, when we came out of Argentina, uh, we're down there 10, 10 days. We came back, crossed through Laredo. And uh, in Nuevo Laredo, on the Mexican side, Dad wanted to buy some, some gifts for the ladies. And we hadn't been there 10 minutes. And someone walked up, opened up their jacket, and there was the gold chains. Now, advice number one to a husband or a man looking to buy something special for their wife over the holidays, don't buy it from a suit coat. <laughs> buy it from a legitimate store. But, you know, the guy went down half of what he was original, originally asking. So dad, dad said, you know what, I'm just going to buy them all. And he did, and the guy was happy. And uh, I said, Dad, you know you just got taken. He said, son, these, these, he told me these are the real deal. So we hadn't, we hadn't gone 30 feet down the block, and there was a uh, jewelry store. So we, Dad, can, can I see those for a minute? Said, son, let's not do this. Dad, can I just see those? We laid them on the counter, and we asked, uh, Sir, can you tell us the worth of these necklaces? And you know what he said? Almost nothing. Those are barely gold-plated. It won't take long for the gold to come. Isn't it amazing how we get so thrilled about the gold-plated things of this life? And it's, and it's I say barely gold-plated. In reality, it's not gold-plated at all. But we, we chase them. I thank God that he's allowed me over the course of my life to meet some people that are truly oriented in their minds concerning eternity. And that's her focus. That's her life. That's her drive. That's her passion. Uh, from Don Green to Homer Smith, Dad, Tom Williams. These are men, you just see it in them. Every day is about eternity. I thank God for people in the church. It's not always a pastor missionary. This is supposed to be every Christian. I thank God uh, for the Miss St. Pierre and the the Miss Edmonds and the Miss Coupe and those that truly, the things of this life are secondary and what matters to God is primary. Praise God 
for that. Look what it says, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, now this isn't talking about 1907 Idlewild Street, right? This is talking about this body, this tabernacle, this, this tent. If this tent were dissolved, now I've never understood the whole tent philosophy. I grew up in Colorado. We went camp a couple times. I've been in Alaska and stayed in a tent. You know, when you know there are bear around, usually a tent is not. Now, it's crazy to go to Alaska and hunting, but that's only our, in reality, the only option that we have. How many struggle to understand that concept? A little wind, a little cold, a little, it makes the experience miserable. And God's basically saying, hey, this, this tent that he's given us, it's temporary. We're looking for something a little more permanent. Uh, if it were dissolved, it will be dissolved. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands. Oh, there it is again. What's it say? Aren't you glad uh, for, for something eternal, this? And looking at some of you, I'm, I'm thinking, God, you've got something better on the way. Say, Pastor, you're not one to speak. I am definitely not. But all the same, especially for Christians now, the world out there has no hope. But for the Christian, knowing this life and the, the departure is just a, a better life in a better house, for this we groan. For this. Now, Christian, I know we don't want to mention COVID during Christmas, but I just have to say, I've seen a lot of Christians groan over COVID because they might leave this earth. You don't see many Christians groaning for heaven. Groaning for a glorified body. What are you groaning about? My knee hurts. My leg hurts. My back hurts. My ear hurts. My big toe hurts. Regrettably, we're not, we're not allowing that to actually help us groan for eternity. We just groan about the things of this life. But when given the chance, we'll take any measure necessary to extend our life, no matter how low the quality of life. Brother Kagan, hasn't it surprised you how many Christians you have seen over the past 18 months absolutely fearful of the thought of death? I don't know where you have to put the points in the zero zeros to get to the number that actually shows the the. COVID could be deadly. I'm, I'm not minimizing it. I'm not making fun of it. It's real. But when you have those few, then you don't even fall in the category, except for the overweight. But outside of that, you don't fall into any of the categories that put you in dangerous territory. And yet we groan. Amen. I already made some of you upset. We got to verse 2 earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our... Now, you don't have to be as anxious as my wife every time uh, we, we go to a funeral. My wife looks at me and says, that lucky person. You know why? She's growing for heaven. She said, I would love, I'd love to exchange this life for the next life. And I always tell her, babe, don't get in a hurry to get out on the next train because I, I don't do well cooking and... And clean it. So would you stick around at least till I leave first? <laughs> Verse 3. If so, the be being clothed, we should not be found naked. For we uh, that are in this tabernacle, this, this flesh, this body, this tent, we do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon uh, what? Clothed with what? 
this mortality might be swallowed up with life, everlasting life, a glorified body. Amen? Now, he that wrought us for the selfsame thing uh, is God, who also hath given unto us what? He gave unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Saying, I'm going to give you an earnest here. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit of God, knowing that one day you will depart with him into the heavens and have a glorified body. Now, when it comes to eternity, we should allow the aches and pains and problems of this life to get us to focus on eternity. Say, thank God we have the promise of something better. This world does not. I've often gone to the hospital and thought, how, how does the world deal with death and cancer and sickness and, and problems when they have no hope beyond this life? And we do, and yet I often see Christians as desperate in the same State of despair is a lost world without any hope after this life. Verse 8, let's skip down. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body. And what's that mean? Aren't you grateful? When you leave this body, you're only getting a better one. You are immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 9, this is where we're wanting to go. Wherefore, we do what? We what? What kind of labor is he speaking of? Not the physical labor. I know you have 40, 50 hour weeks. I know mothers are in the kitchen and you're cooking and you're doing laundry and you're rearing those children. And on top of that, you've got a side job. That's not exactly what Paul is talking about. He's talking about spiritual labor, that whether present or absent, what is supposed to happen? that we may be accepted. Now, Christian, here's, here's why I want to go out into dangerous territory, and here's what's been a burden in my heart and mine. I am convinced now more than ever, we have established, not in the world, but independent Baptists are living a lie because eternity is not in their heart and mind. And in their minds, they've accepted the grace community philosophy that says... I can live however I want as a Christian, and God doesn't pay attention. There is accountability with God. And I want to make sure I please you. I've, I've told my kids, there is nothing you can do in this life to make me love you more. I haven't set a standard that if you, if you do this, if you fulfill this, I love you. And if you don't, I don't love you. There's nothing they can do to make me love them more. There's nothing they can do to make me love them less. But I have told them, You're the one in charge of putting a smile on my face because you determine if I'm pleased or not. Oh, you say, not me. I'm always pleased with my child. Some of these kids are gifted at displeasing their parents. Now, God doesn't love us more. He doesn't love us less. But I want to make sure what I'm doing in this life is pleasing to him. And I I have seen today a generation of Christians. They're not even concerned about what pleases God. It's a very selfish Christianity, whether it's their dress or their behavior, their thoughts, their involvement in, in Christ, at to what level they're building the kingdom of God. All of this really, Christianity has become so selfish. It's, it's God must be pleased with this because I chose this level of Christianity. And if he's not pleased, he's confused. And what man literally so adamantly defends 
as Christian behavior because in their minds, they've, the word of God hasn't set the bar, they've set the bar. No, because of eternity, because of God, because of his word, because he has already told me what is pleasing to him, I want to live in such a manner that every day I wake up and say, how can I please him? Church, I, I'm, I'm not here to determine a message. It would have been a much more pleasing night to choose a topic concerning Christmas. It probably would have been Brother Kagan. The best thing I could have done, if Brother Rawl preaches 25 minutes, he's very unoffensive, he's very polished, yeah, it would have been good, 25 minutes. People get a little accent and go home and eat their chocolate and feel good about themselves. Uh, but, you know, I, I think in life... Is Christians, I, I, I used to preach that the God of the 50 plus was threefold. Comfort, security, and reputation. If you're over 50, those are the three biggest sins you have to guard against. But guess what? It's not over the 50 crowd. Now you see in 22-year-olds, already talking about their retirement, they're 22 years old. We're, we're not concerned about God and his glory and that which is eternal. We have a generation of Christians that literally 100% consumed with that which is temporal. It's impossible to please God with that mindset. Impossible. Wherefore we labor. What, it's a spiritual labor. Most don't do any spiritual labor at all. But if they are, the spiritual labor ought to be done. But let me ask you this. How many actually do spiritual labor with the thought of what is pleasing to God? They go to church. But do you do it in a way that is pleasing to God? Whether that's singing a hymn or how you even act or interact in that service is your focus on pleasing God. Paul said, wherefore we labor that we may be accepted. How I many you understand this? We, we, we disassociate real life from spiritual life. You know, if you do this as a teacher, as a boss, you do this in your home with your own children, there is labor and then there's labor that is pleasing to you. They may wash the dishes, but there's three left in the sink. The sink is left filthy. There's water on the floor. The dishes didn't get put up. So they labored. It was acceptable in their minds to themselves, but not to you. Did you know there's spiritual labor that's not acceptable to God? I want to make sure that my spiritual labor, my motives, my work ethic, I'm compared to God's word, submitted to the Bible principle. I want, to, I want to make sure that that which I am doing classified as spiritual is actually spiritual. Do you know there's a lot going on in Sunday school classes that's not even acceptable to God? Church services, messages, Christian schools. You, you tell me what's going on in the average Christian school or the average Sunday school is actually acceptable to God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now, if any man build, Paul speaking, upon this foundation, Christ is the right foundation, verse 11. That's the one that's already been laid. But if he build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, that's speaking of the heavenly, things of real value. Now, 
Heaven's gold is the earth's garbage, and the earth's gold is heaven's garbage. We understand that, right? So we've got to change our perspective because what we value, God does not value what God values. Rarely do we value. But he said, if, if we're truly building with gold, silver, precious stones, uh, or we can build with wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work. Now, do you believe the Bible or not? What's it saying? It, what? Shall be manifest, be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Oh, well, Pastor, that's speaking of an earthly day. That's one avenue or facet. But you mean to tell me an earthly day has revealed all of your works, whether it's gold, wood, hair, stubble? Yeah, what day of your life was that? There's no way that can be speaking purely of an earthly day. You know better than that. Your IQ goes higher than that. There is no one day on this earth that is a total revelation of wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, here's what I believe. There are, there's a process of revelation. There is life, the longer you live, tends to reveal. How, how many of you thought uh, something was spiritual and then the, the earthly day, there came a day that revealed what that person was doing was not spiritual at all? Right? So the day God does allow some days, but there, there have been some that live so deceitfully and we would argue with God and say, God, why didn't you reveal on the earth how wicked or ungodly that was? And God says, don't worry. God, God is a righteous judge. We don't like those words, but he is a righteous judge. He's not going to reveal everything on this earth. Some of that is revealed at death. You know what when wood, hay, and stubble is? Now, in life, that's revealed to others that are observing. In death, it's revealed to the person whose souls depart from this life because there are many Christians whose whole life is wrapped in wood, hay, and stubble. They collect it. They hoard it. They talk about it. They beat their chest. They, they check every morning if their value of their wood, hay, and stubble has gone up or down. Some have been panicked over the past month. Checking on their wood, hay, and stubble. And some say, my wood has increased by 38% uh, this year. And if I sell it on the market tomorrow, I'm going to make a huge profit. That's all nice, but it's going to be revealed. When it's going to be revealed? At death, because whatever you can't take with you is wood, hay. I would hate to make my whole life about the accumulation of wood, hay, and stubble, but that's what the majority of Christians do because eternity is not deeply embedded in their minds. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, here's what that means. If it's not made manifest totally in the course of life, and it won't be, if it's not made manifest totally in death, and it won't be, there has to be a moment after death where the final evaluation of your life, wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, gold, and silver, is revealed. That's Bible. Here's what Christians are doing. Because they have convinced themselves there is a God that demands no accountability. They're living their life in such a manner. Now, this is, this is very harsh for the average Christian. Because he's been told his whole life, God will not require any accountability. And then he tells him, see, he, he 
congenitally tells himself, uh, my, my judgment took place at Calvary. It certainly did for your sins. But not for the purpose that God has for your life. So what you do as a Christian, God says, there will be a revelation of what you did for God and it'll be sorted out as precious stones, gold, silver, wood, hay, or stubble. And a lot that we see with our earthly eyes appears to be gold and it's actually stubble. And a lot that we think is stubble is actually gold, silver, and precious stones. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed how? By fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what? What's, you don't get to determine. Oh, we like to determine. I know what sort that is. I know his motives. I know what he's thinking. That can't be accepted. Well, God actually gets to sort through the sort. Uh-huh. Everybody thinks they're spiritual detectives and have the gift of, of sorting discernment. I know what sort of work that is. You probably don't. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, oh, oh, uh, uh, wait, wait, Pastor, this can't be talking about the eternal. It is. It says, there will be a reward. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to fuss with you tonight on details. I know there are some pastors preach. There are five crowns. You get a crown. You walk around in heaven. And some will have the five stacker, three stacker, four stacker, two stacker. <laughs> some will have a neck brace because of all the stacks of crowns they get. Now, I personally believe. Listen, if you think there are people in heaven, golden crowns, I have no issue with that at all. I personally believe if you look at the crowns, the crown of glory, all of us will be crowned with glory. If you get to heaven, you're not crowned with glory, you've got a problem. The crown of joy, if you get to heaven, you've not been crowned with joy, you've got a serious problem. Can you imagine Tyrone walking around like this? He didn't get crowned with joy. Amen? At the crown of incorruption. Can you imagine Tony still bald in heaven? Wearing his glasses? Dealing with health problems? He'd say, oh... Bless his heart, he made it here. He just didn't get, the, he didn't get crowned with incorruption. The bottom line is, I'm not going to fuss with you over the reward, but here's what you're going to read in your Bible. Yes, there is reward and a loss of reward that is speaking in an eternal context based upon what you do as a Christian. I believe in heaven we're all co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's incredible. That blows my mind. No, I do not believe that Scott will be living on Broadway with the 16-story mansion and Sharon will be living on the east side with a moped. Look what it says. If any man's work should be burned, that, hold on for a second. God says there's a fire that will burn the works of a Christian. Are we Bible believers or not? How many believe Paul wrote this or... The Holy Spirit wrote this. So there's a fire that burns the works of men. He shall what? So there is a reward and there is a loss. But he himself shall be saved. You say, this is talking about this earth. Oh, hold on for a second. No, it's not because he shall be saved. Yet so as by... He's going to make it. He's, he's saved. But it's, there's, there's going to be nothing there that is eternal, everything that man spent in his life, his, his talent, his energy, his motivation, everything he did, even the spiritual, all burned up. He went to church, 
It just was never a pleasure. He went sowing it a couple times. He hated every minute of it. He listened to the preacher and said, boy, that guy yells a lot, and I get sick and tired of his style. But at the end, of, can you imagine? We're, we're talking about Christians, and it says it's all, can you imagine being a Christian? All burnt. Now, let me ask you this. So let, let's talk about who's, who's close to, to retiring. Anybody, anybody here close to retiring? I know Tony Hubbard is close to retiring. Let's talk about Tony for a minute. Can you imagine if, if Tony has the day set to retire his 65th birthday, all the plans are made, and uh, the day before he retires, his house burns down, and he didn't realize that Jeannie hadn't paid for the insurance on the house the day before the insurance expired. So all of that burned down, and his life insurance policy expired six months before. He couldn't get it renewed because the incredible expense. Company went bankrupt, so there was no pension. And then the day after, the government puts out a notice that Social Security has officially gone bankrupt. You know what, you know what we would say? Bummer of a birthday. <laughs> You work your whole life, and then, in a moment, all gone. Now, let me ask you what's worse. What about the person who works his whole life? Goes to church, Christian, carries a Bible, never misses a service, but never does anything for eternity, and then he dies. His whole life was about this life. That's what, that's what the scripture here is talking about. If any man works, shall be burned. It's over. It's done. He spent his whole life doing only that which did not matter to God. You know, I'm shocked how many preachers I get with. And they tell me, about, tell me about their retirement funds, and they tell me what they've accumulated. And then the next thing to come, I already know what's next to come. Then they start telling about their kids and their careers. Oh, and, and my, my kid, he graduated from here, and he's got a career in this, and then he's, he's making really good money, but she married this person, and he's making really good money. And nothing about where they're at spiritually, what they're doing for God, if they have a heart for God. We have a generation of young Christians that has no chance because the parents are so focused on the temporal. As soon as the child tries to put their mind on eternity, parents yank their head back and look at the temporal. What are you doing looking at eternity? You've already surrendered your life to Jesus. All you had to do was say the prayer and mention it. But when you graduate, you go serve mammon. You make money. I'm getting old. Eternity, where's eternity in the hearts and minds of the Christian in 2021? Yes. I'm talking about adamant Christians. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about evangelists. I'm talking about missionaries. Eternity is not even in their concept. There is coming a day when God will reveal the true value of our labor upon this earth. Let me say that again. There is coming a day... Not just on this earth, the day of this earth might reveal things to a very small degree. Death will reveal things to, to that soul, that person, when they leave the planet. 
But we're not talking about that. God's talking about something bigger. A revelation of what works were done for him are truly eternal. Amen. That means we should live every single day on purpose. That means we ought to live every day constantly evaluating what we're doing, why we're doing it, and if it really holds any eternal value at all. Go with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, story very familiar. I don't want to read the whole thing. It speaks of stewardship. Now, here's, here's what I've seen. A generation of Christians that believes nothing about stewardship. Verse 14, king of heaven. This is a man traveling to a far country. He called his own servants, delivered to them his goods. You know what? Everyone sitting here has been delivered the goods. Your intellect, your family, your upbringing. Now, some of you have been delivered more goods. You're like, that's right. I'm good looking. I'm not talking about that. You don't fall in that category. Talking about you're in church. You've been given the gospel. You responded to the gospel. Uh, you, you have a Bible in your language. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. God has given you the goods. He holds you accountable for the goods. Uh, there. Listen, if you're outside of the United States of America, you've already been given fewer goods than the average person in a foreign country. And unto one he gave five, to another two, to every man according to his several abilities. Straightway he took his journey. When he had received the five talents, he went and traded the same, made other five talents, likewise two. He gained two. The other one, you know what he did? He digged the pit. He buried it, hid it. So when he came, verse 20, uh, he comes back after a long time. Look what it says. The Lord of those servants, what? How many believe in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? We just don't believe Scripture and what it says next. What's it say? He comes and does what? He reckoneth. Stewardship without reckoning is not stewardship at all. If, if, if I rented a house to Lacey, never checked on the house, never required a payment, ignored her as long as she lived in the house, she is an owner, not a renter. She's not a steward. How is it we deny every Bible principle? Christians are living as if they never have to give an account to God. There's no reckoning when God says, I gave you talents. What did you do with these talents? I doubt there are 10% of the Christians sitting here tonight that truly believe the Lord's coming and they will be reckoned by God for what they did as a Christian. Not for their sins, not for their past, not even for the sins that they committed during their Christian life. We're talking about what God gave you and said. I had a purpose for your life. I had a calling on your life. And here's what we do. This is not about being called as a pastor. Called We minimize the CPA and magnify the missionary. God doesn't do that. God calls CPAs just as he calls missionaries. So if you're a business owner or a casual worker, you're an employee, whatever God's purpose is for your life, he says, 
I gave you those kids for my honor and my glory. You're going to have to reckon over those kids. I put you in that church. You ran a bus route. You, you worked a, a ministry. Hey, you, you were supposed to reach out. Hey, I, I put you in that company because no one else was going to witness those people in that company. No one else was going to get in there and reach those people. I put you in a gated community because no one else was going to reach in that gated community. If we're just taking the Bible, how many of you have read about Thomas Jefferson in his Bible where he actually cut out Bible verses? Anything that was supernatural, he cut it out. You know, we have, we have generation of Baptists that whatever they don't believe, they just cut it out. I do not believe the average Christian actually believes scripture that says we are stewards and one day, Jason, God is going to say, I know where you were born, but I put you in a home and I gave you the gospel and I put you in a school and I surrounded you by people and I gave you talents. Now show me what you did with those talents. Have you ever thought about God's plan? Nathan, you, you did, Satan's plan is not for you to do drugs. I doubt you ever do drugs. Your mom doesn't even give you Tylenol. Satan's plan is just for you to live a selfish life that says, what, what do I want? I can still go to church, and I'm not like I'm missing even Wednesday night, and I'm I reading my Bible, and, uh, but boy, am I making good money. And boy... Did I find a good-looking girl who has no problem with me dedicating my life to the pursuit of more? And God, I, I know there's something out there you'd like me to do. Um, when I'm 65, we'll have a powwow. Talk about a few last plans. You know why Christians are living the way they're living? They are, Eric, 100% convinced that God has turned a blind eye and there is no reckoning at any time. It's all gold and silver as long as those around them are convinced it's gold and silver. So if they painted that stubble to look like gold and everyone else says that's beautiful, they've deceived themselves. It's a self-deception where they truly think God's going to overlook this and there'll be no reward, no loss. Now, it doesn't matter. You're, I'll throw in my opinion here, but I believe my opinion is biblical. When you look at the story of stewardship, where is the reward? The reward's not in heaven. The reward is reigning. Where do we rule and reign with Christ? In the millennium. Now, I don't, I don't want to get into the details. I'm not concerned about what it, all I know is I want to please God. And all I know is I will one day reckon with God over what he gave me. From the house I was born in and the Bible I was given in the day and age and the, and the nation and the country and the calling, the responsibilities, I'm going to have to give an account for Argentina and Mexico and capital city and Vida Abundante and what God gave me. Uh, Robert, I'm convinced of this. Our responsibility, it, it, when it's a spiritual responsibility, it talks about building. So we're, we're supposed to be building lives, building the kingdom of God. I'm convinced we're supposed to be impacting people. For some, that's salvation. For some, that's spiritual growth. For some, that's baptism. For some, that's our children, our, our parents, our uncles, our neighbors. 
God is a God of numbers. You know, I was struck the other day when we were talking about the difference in the new pack and the old pack. God, when, when he gave the law and the, and the people down there acting like wild Comanches, 3,000 of them died. The law brings death. And then the New Testament, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came and the new covenant was, was brought into effect, that about 3,000 were given life the day of Pentecost. That's not accidental. God, look at your Bible. God is a God of numbers. Brother Kagan, would, would I be imagined and think that God would already know how many people in my life he has purposed me to touch or impact? Would he know how many of those I didn't? That person, that life, that youth, that woman, that clerk. I remember the first time in my life when it struck me, I was working at security at a hotel late at night, and there were only three or four of us there throughout the night, but the lady that normally worked at the front desk, 28, 29 years old, we rarely spoke. One day she didn't come to work. I asked about her name was Rachel. I asked about Rachel. Uh, they said brain aneurysm. I, it shocked me, someone that young. And within a week she was dead. And then the Holy Spirit of God said, so you were here three months and never even slid her a track? You know what I did every night? I walked my round, sat down, and studied the Bible in preparation for my classes. I don't know, Johnny, how many messages I prepared on the job, because I was allowed to do that in between shifts. But my impact was not preparing an outline. God put me there to impact four people, and one I totally missed. You say, preacher, you're trying to make me feel bad tonight. No, I'm just trying, I'm trying to help us out because I truly think Christians, what we could do and what we would do if we understood, but I'm looking at a crowd that doesn't even believe the scripture we are reading. There is a reckoning of the stewardship. Go back with me to our text and we'll be done. We ought to be motivated in our labor to be accepted of him. Motivated because he will reckon and evaluate the things that are done in this body. Verse 11, what's Paul say? Knowing therefore what? The terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Now, there's another aspect of eternity here. There's heaven and there's hell. For the Christian, absent from the body, means his soul is immediately with the Lord in heaven. But for the lost, it means he immediately awakens to hell. I, I know we can talk about eternal here. I can't, I can't grasp the first five minutes of hell. Can you imagine a man dies and he awakens to absolute darkness? extreme pain and he finds himself falling he's reaching out for something there's nothing to catch his whole body is on fire others are screaming do we work our way through the first 30 seconds or five minutes but folks after the first thousand years is over he hadn't even started you know what puts a smile on our face in life if you get a ticket you crash your car you go to the hospital you get COVID, whatever it is, you know what you're saying in your mind? In a few minutes, a few days, maybe a month, it'll be over. I wonder when it dawns on that person 
in hell. This will never, ever, ever, ever be over. We have a generation of Christians. Their whole focus on this life. Souls don't even cross their mind, even if they're a family member. Because eternity doesn't cross their mind. Why don't you tomorrow, whether that's work or family, why don't, why don't you just look someone in the eyes that you know is unsaved. And for 20 seconds, you get distracted during their conversations anyways. Why don't you get distracted? Look in their eyes and say, that person you're looking at forever in a lake of fire. And God's put me right here. He put me here. God put me here to impact this life. 